This podcast is brought to you by Ride IQ. Ride IQ is a first of its kind equestrian coaching platform that will transform your independent schooling rides. Ride IQ members get access to the private mobile app with hundreds of on demand listen while you ride audio lessons taught by the world's top eventing, hunter jumper, and dressage coaches. Membership is only $29.99 per month, and every membership automatically includes a free trial. When you sign up at ride-iq.com. On today's episode of In Stride, Sinead interviews Robert Costello. Robert, also known as Bobby, has had several top finishes at the CCI five-star level of eventing, including eighth place individually at the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games, where he rode for Team USA. In 2003, Bobby represented USA again and won a team gold at the Pan Am Games. For the past decade, Bobby's focus has been on ROC Equestrian, his coaching training and sales business. Bobby is an ICP level four instructor and his students consistently earn top placings at major FEI competitions. Bobby is also very involved in the sport through volunteer positions and was honored by the USEA for a lifetime of service with the prestigious Wofford Cup in 2014. Today, Sinead and Bobby are talking about the evolution of equestrian professionals. We hope you enjoy this episode. All right, everyone. I am so excited to have Bobby Costello joining us today. And we have had numerous requests to have you on here. You're very popular, Bobby. Um, right. <laughs> you are. And like I said in the message, this is really fun for me because we're all so busy all over the place all the time. So this is the best way I have to catch up with my friends is to make them get on a podcast with me. <laughs> it is good because I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. I know. So this forever. is good. I know. Next um, best thing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's so much that I want to talk about. And one of the fun things I do is I, I stalk you for like a day or two before we get on this podcast. And just oh, great. I, know. Great. I, I love the World Wide Web. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things that I find so amazing and interesting about kind of your your story is obviously like you're from Massachusetts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and I, we've talked to a couple of people that started up there. So that was really the hot spot of eventing for quite some yeah. time, right? Like, I mean, it was kind of the, the Middleburg, Unionville. Yeah. I mean, the the whole, at the time, the USCTA, um, when, when that got its start, it was um, in Hamilton. And yeah. a lot of the big sponsors, donors, owners were all in Hamilton. And, um, uh, you know, the really the, the the sport started in that area um a couple of the first big international events ledyard farm horse trials flying horse farm horse trials um you know the first uh you know one of the first you know internationally renowned um course designers neil air was also the you know the master of our fox and so it was all about eventing and then of course when jack legoff came to town um, where, uh, when they opened up the three-day training base in Hamilton. And then we had, you know, all the top riders in the country just coming through Hamilton for, you know, from the time I was a little kid. And I was probably about 12 or so when, when um, you know, the, the team was at its, really starting to have, uh, have its busiest time in Hamilton. And, you know, Tad Coffin and, you know, Derek DeGrazia and B Perkins DeGrazia and just Karen Stives and, you know, you, 
go down the list of you know Torrance Watkins, Mike Plum, Bruce Davidson, like they all were through Hamilton all the way you know through David O'Connor, mm -hmm. and um, I think David uh, you know was one of the last classes if as it were yeah. uh, to kind of come through Hamilton and and get his start there with Jack and um, it was great because I had an older brother that competed um and you know he was friends with all, a lot of those guys so i got to kind of go over and watch a lot of the training sessions so i was um i was you know i i was exposed to that from a really young age so it kind of just seemed like you know that was cool and i'm gonna try to do that <laughs> did your parents ride no my parents were completely not horsey at all um i had two older brothers that both <laughs> rode and we all began to uh, we all learned to ride at the myopia hunt club and um had a great couple of first you know lesson ponies and um you know very very um i, I would say a, not a fancy a very common way that i got started riding um you know a lesson one lesson once a week and um i think everybody thought that my oldest brother john you know he he was really i think the talented one in the family and I think <laughs> they all thought they all thought that he was going to be the one to kind of go on and do things and he was like no i'm like going to college and gonna get a real job so it was up to me so uh yeah i went to but college still, and then i didn't you get, still got, yeah, I I'm get like, a real went job to college. <laughs> <laughs> you know you still were checking yeah, it was a great place to grow up though we were super fortunate and my parents were not horsey but they were incredibly supportive in that you want to go do that that's great we're probably not going to be paying for most or yeah. all of it so or any of it so you know fit, figure out a way and um you know, there is always a way. So, uh, yeah. you know, very, very fortunate. Yeah, that's so. And what, I mean, I don't know if there was one particular thing, but was it kind of that last class, like you said, with Jack, like what made the kind of the switch when things started mm -hmm. heading a little bit further south? Right, 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 right. Well, it, it started a little bit, I, you know, and God, you know, Mike Plum, we should have him on here because he was part of all of that and, and yeah. Bruce, but, uh, um, you know, by 1984, I, I think, you know, that there, there had been so many people that had come through and, and these people in their own right were become, you know, becoming quite famous and, and very renowned trainers. And I think, you know, they all came from beautiful places, whether it was in Unionville or Middleburg or whatever. And I think right. there was, began, it began a little bit of, you know, uh, people that weren't as excited to come up to Hamilton to train when they could stay down where they were. And there was a little, I know there was a little bit of a rift going into the 1984 Olympics, um, you know, just like dissatisfaction with with the way things, you know, were potentially headed. So um, I, I know that, you know, uh, uh, you know, Mike and Bruce may have grown out of that system, but but definitely more people were coming through. And I think just the whole thing about having one training base, you know, that was the last time yeah. we had that and yeah. we haven't had it since then and i think it was just the progression of things like we were so incredibly lucky to have um i don't i don't think we would have had the success that we had early on as a country if we did not have that and mm -hmm. um you know whether that could happen now i doubt it you know yeah. but um but it, it was right for the time for sure and you know jack legoff was just amazing and all those people i think you know really valued you know being able to learn so much from him he was just like a master he was incredible yeah um, but it was yeah i mean i think it was a, it was a time you know it was the right time for something like that and i just don't know if if, if it could happen anymore because everybody's kind of doing their own all thing. over the place yeah but that's what makes you you know like it's hard to because obviously you want to learn from the past and past successes and things like that mm -hmm. but times are you know different now but it does seem like you know 
there's always turbulence. I mean, we can just get into it. There's always turbulence in the high performance sure. side of anything and yep. trying to figure out how to learn from things, but also be progressive. And obviously there's, there's two sides of that coin of trying to figure out like the U S is so spread out and everybody is so all over the place that there doesn't seem to be kind of a sense of unity or a style or one way of, um, you know, like learning or riding or being, which is great in certain places, but then there's also not a cohesive feel as yeah. well, you know? And so mm -hmm. it's, you know, how do we take from that and incorporate it into what we're doing and where we're going today? Yeah, I, th I think you're right. And, and, you know, I'm, I, I always say like, if I become one of those people that always bangs on about the past and the way that we did it, <laughs> just like shoot me. Cause it makes me crazy when I hear that from other people. Um, so, uh, the only thing I will say, like, you know, yeah, everything changes. And I think, I think we had like a, for many years, um, you know, I was fortunate to, to be influenced really positively by Mark Phillips, you know, yep. back in the, um, kind of late nineties into the, the, um, upper two thousands. And I thought that was a nice balance. We would have training sessions at, you know, a, someone's facility, someone's base. And, you know, everybody was kind of there, not, not that everybody was watching every single lesson, mm -hmm. but you know, we would all show up at the same place for a training session for two or three days. And then we'd go yeah. off and, and do our thing and then come back together like three or four weeks later. I thought that was a really nice um, trade-off. I learned a ton from yeah. watching. Like I never had like a super long string of horses. So a lot of what I learned was from watching and it wasn't until much later that I maybe had two or three or four advanced horses at one time. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that is hardly happens for anyone. So um, from the time I was actually a little kid, you know, just watching, sitting at the ring and watching and learning to count strides by just watching other people jump yeah. is, you know, it was, it was amazing. So um, yeah, things change and it's totally cool. And, um, you know, uh, it's just striking the right balance, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And everything. So when you were, so obviously, um, you know, everyone's heard your resume on here, but you've gone to Pan Am's Olympic games, you know, Burley, Kentucky, all of that. What did, what did your barn look like? Like when you were kind of really hitting your stride there for a while, like you just, mm -hmm. you just hit on, you know, the string of horses or whatnot. How, how did that look? Right. As super fortunate. Um, so after college, um, I, I started, um, you know, the, first winter I came to Southern Pines for like two weeks, North Carolina. And then the next year I was able to come for like four weeks and I, which I couldn't believe like it was just <laughs> awesome. And then um, I had a, a, a wonderful uh, a business partner after I got out of college, um, Leela Clay, she owned horses for me for years. And um, we also uh, ha had our little CNC sport horse incorporated, you know, we, we bought and sold horses mostly that we got from England. And um, so we, we, we kept a kind of a small sales business, which was allowed us to keep one or two horses kind mm -hmm. of, you know, that, that, that looked like they were going to be good enough. Um, so I was very fortunate in that early on, I didn't have to teach a ton to, to keep the, the ball going. I, I mean, I definitely had a lot of support from Leela and, um, you know, the, the farm paid enough to, uh, pay, paid it paid off itself, you know, especially in the winter when people would come to, to train in the, in the wintertime and, you know, have stalls at our place. And, um, so it was, I was very fortunate because it was never a behemoth operation. I probably had, we had two barns on my, our property. Uh, the first barn, my barn had like 12 stalls. So we probably never really, I never really probably had more than eight or so. Mm -hmm. So we would always like rent out a few mm -hmm. other stalls 
in my barn and then we had a whole separate barn for for winter winter people that were coming down to train so uh so i was very fortunate because it always was very manageable i only needed ever like one or you know one full-time maybe one half-time person um we could always the farm was awesome it was very manageable size-wise so um i was very fortunate in the way that i was able to train horses and run my business um, yeah. for years really fortunate it's interesting because it i was having this conversation this morning with another um rider and it's it feels like you know everything comes full circle <laughs> and now with everything that's happening you know where staffing is so difficult and you know the number of horses that used to be like you know five or six or 10 years ago, it was like, how many horses can I get into the barn? Can I have 20? Can I have 30? Can I have 40? You know? <laughs> and, and I'm going to have 15 working students. Nobody's getting paid, especially me. And, um, you know, and you're all just, the only way we're going to be successful is if we're like blind dog tired and have four broken yeah. bones, you know? Yeah. And, uh, crazy. Crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And then, and now, you know, things seem to be leveling out a little bit. There's a few people that have had a lot of success that have very publicly said, my string is small, you know, like, um, I, I keep it manageable a little bit, kind of what you're saying right now. It's, and that's not a small, I mean, eight, eight to 12 horses is not a small string, mm -hmm. but you know, one, one and a half staff, a manageable situation where you can really, um, focus on the quality instead of the quantity. Absolutely. But Absolutely. That, yeah. It was like, there was, mu I've always said there must be like a formula, you know, because yeah. more is just more, right? Like yeah. you have 40 horses, that's hay that you're buying for 40, freaking horses and yeah. you know there i've always said like there has to be like a a um a number where you know this amount of horses is going to take care of you know always making sure that you have horses coming along you have mm -hmm. a few horses that are paying their own way um or paying their yeah. way and uh and there must be like there must be a number where you can make money and be successful not run yourself ragged be able to really focus on you know becoming the best event rider because yeah. most everybody that has these huge businesses that's what they're trying to do but oftentimes it goes completely against what they're trying right. to do just because they're just you know they're out there and then teaching until eight o'clock at night and mm -hmm. you know um so there's got to be a formula i don't know who's figure that out yet but uh <laughs> not luckily, the people with other people now <laughs> yeah because there's no time to do that i mean that's that yeah. is the you know that's the the thing is is creating that space so you can sit down and figure that formula out sure. and i guess it feels like such a hand-to-mouth operation sometimes that it's scary to go okay i'm gonna try this <laughs> you know yeah. like tick and i do that every summer we're like okay we're gonna cut down on the winter numbers and then people call and you just Say yes, 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 sure, yeah. we'll work it out fine, you know, and yeah. it's um it's a hard balance, but I think trying to to figure out that balance is is coming back around and especially even if it's a forced hand because because it's so difficult to find help, you know, and, and yeah. Yeah. And I think that shift is is almost good because I think the like help that you have in the barn should be paid and it should be paid for the mm -hmm. job that they're doing, but you know, you can't afford that to have four or five people on the salary that they actually should be making. So, yeah, no, um, no, no, no. <laughs> no. Uh, so that's the balance of that. Um, sorry, that sidetrack there. Um, so then, so you, you kind of have this, this really successful thing going on and mm -hmm. then did you, was there a moment, did you just decide, cause you retired quite early from, from the sport. Yeah. So, um, so I, it's, it's interesting because the, the story behind that is, well, kind of two stories. Um, uh, 
the farm where I trained out of and, and my business partner for years and years and years, she, her husband was not well, she was not well. So um, that we, it didn't look like it was ever going to happen like that, but the farm ended up having to get sold. So I was right. kind of like, okay, you now got to figure out how you're going to do this on your own. And I was 40, 42, something like that. I was like, you know, like I always say like eventing and competing is great because you can do it forever. But the flip side is you can do it forever and not, (laughs) and not really think about, okay, how am I going to make a living? How am I going to make a business? I always said like, I do not want to be a broken down horseman at 65 years old and, you know, be like, okay, I have no money. And what, like, I have nothing except for, you know, memories and, you know, achy old, Phone. So <laughs> I, 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 I kind of thought, you know, I, I honestly thought that I would compete till I was like 42 or 45. I didn't, I was not one of these people that, that thought that I needed to still be out there, you know, and, you know, at 60 still doing it. Although, man, that's like 60 is the new 40 people are out, yeah. you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. So more power to all those people. Um, at the same time, Mark Phillips was finishing up, you know, with his, with his coaching for the team. Um, Philip Dutton and I decided to to go in and 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 apply for the job as a yep. duo um, at the time. So it was, and funnily enough, like Philip was going to retire at the same time as well because he mm-hmm. had had physical problems and 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 he was thinking the same thing about about um, you know having to try to make a, a real living at this. So um, you know it didn't work out, and uh, he went back to competing. Thank goodness because he's had so much success for yeah. us for so many years. And I just started to really concentrate on my business of the training, and um, I was still riding and competing a little bit. But um, but uh, I was always this person that I loved the competition. The, the bigger the competition, the more pressure. Uh, I think the better I was, like the day in, day out grind of the whole thing, mm-hmm. like, you know, with everyone, I think I, I, it just wasn't something that I knew that I wanted to do forever. Right. I, I, I really enjoyed the teaching. I really enjoyed the, the training and coaching part, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just decided that I, you know, I went off on my own, started ROC Equestrian, which is my own business and um, haven't looked back since. And do you miss it? Was there, was it a hard year or two or a bit of time? Uh, you know, there was a year, like I, I, I felt like for a couple of years that I had like one foot in one foot out, yeah. that was the worst. I was like, either you're going to do it or you're not going to, you know, you don't, yeah. you, you, you like, it's too serious and too okay. difficult to, to, to feel like you're transitioning kind of in and out. Um, so those were a couple of unhappy years for me because I just didn't feel like I was succeeding at either. And right. then, um, and then I remember like that it was like this, maybe the second year that I hadn't competed at Kentucky. And usually I would like, you know, you would make that long walk back to the stable, you know, after the show jumping is done. And I would be a little bit like grouchy and blue. And <laughs> finally, like two or three years after I hadn't competed there, I was like, you know what? It's okay. Like, but like that um, it's time to move on. And, um, and, and honestly, since then, I haven't haven't missed the, the 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 competing part, the day in and day out competing part, like at all. Right. I do. You know, you t- totally and and you know this. Like you've jumped around all the big tracks in the world, and um, when you go to a big competition, you're like, oh my god! Like yeah. you know, like, if I could just show up on the day, that would be great. <laughs> it's that's not how the world works. So um, <laughs> what? But no, I'm really I feel really lucky, and I'm totally happy with the decision for for me, you know, and I never was one that was going to try to have a big business of, you know, six employees and, you know, four working students. Mm-hmm. I'm basically a business of one mm-hmm. and, uh, and can make it work out. And I, I love it. I'm really yeah. lucky. Yeah. 
That's so, it's so interesting. And, and do you think that, that having success like er early on helped with that? Like, do you think if you hadn't have been so, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? You think it was early on. (laughs) (laughs) You just got a childlike face. (laughs) Yeah. It was so not early on. I was such a late bloomer, man. Really? I, I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just like, schlepped around through all of my 20s i thought that i was pretty good but like (laughs) i'd never really had any good horses i was always out there competing good thing is i was riding a lot competing a lot you know know, jumping a lot getting a lot uh, on a lot of horses but it really wasn't um until the i think you know i think i was maybe 32 one 32 before i got invited to my first training session um with mark phillips and it wasn't until I was like 33, 34 before I, you know, had the the one horse that we always hope for, and that was Chevalier, yeah. um, who I took to the Olympics. And um, and I was 35 when I went to the Olympics, and 37 when I went to the Pan Ams, and probably 36 when I did Burley at first. So so uh, it, I definitely was a little bit of a late bloomer. Right. But again, the great thing about this sport is like I tell people, don't get don't get um, you know distracted don't don't get um you know bummed out if you're not 22 probably better off if you're not 22 and being successful um uh you know i because i wasn't really worried about it but you know when i look back at it it's like holy crap like i was i was in my mid-30s before i feel like i really hit my stride yeah and i did that you know and i and i had probably you know honestly probably 10 years at the top level feeling like i was really in it and and enjoying that that mm-hmm. kind of that kind of life I, you know mm-hmm. it was awesome but mm-hmm. you know I, I just didn't I never really thought I'd do it forever yeah it's interesting I um a couple years ago I was talking to Rebecca Howard in England and you know she had she had just come off of I think Rio maybe and she, well it was probably a year later two years later and she was like the highest placing um female rider at Rio I think she finished 10th individually and um, things were coming back around. She'd had some young horses, her top horse had retired. And then somebody had asked her about, there was a possibility of really pushing towards 2020 or something like that. And she said, you know, I looked at it and I, now I'm wise enough to know what it takes to get there. And she said, I actually hesitated, you know, whereas if I had been in my twenties, I would have been like, hell yeah, I'll do whatever. Like the horse is jumping cross rails. Like I'm fine. We'll go. (laughs) And, but kind of knowing like kind of what you said, the day in the day out, what was going to be required to get there and be successful. She just said, I I think actually this one, we're not going to be ready. You know, like it's not, I'm not going to put that into it. Um, you know, and I think so interesting because I, after the first Olympics, I, I was all about like, yeah, I'm going to the next Olympics. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I'm going to even be more hungry and more organized and have more horses. And and I feel like I really set myself up way better for Mm -hmm. four years later. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I had a couple of horses and, um, uh, and, and I did all the right things and the horses stayed sound and blah, blah, blah. And it just didn't work out like, because, you know, as it does, because really hard. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, like I fell off of Kentucky and I was like, okay, oh, well, I guess that means I'm not going to <laughs> but, um, And everything, everything leading up to that was like, yeah, this is great. Like I'm right on track and I'm way more, I feel way more like, I, I feel like I kind of slipped in four years, four yeah. years before. Yeah. And uh, I was like on it and I was 
organized and everything was going right and it's like like at the drop of a hat it can all you know end which is what is so kind of cool about our sport and hard any sport like Mm -hmm. any sport like watching the olympics you see like how things can just come crashing down with like in a instant and uh i mean i don't think i was that dramatic about it but but it (laughs) um but yeah Probably you can't always plan. I mean, probably on the ground. Yeah. I don't know if yeah. there was a live, live stream there, yeah. but there might have been a broken yeah. whip or something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> on my head. Yeah. Is that is that a hard um, line? Because obviously, skipping ahead a little bit, like you're a chair of the selectors, like you've been on every single committee, like as far as um, you know, like really playing a big part in the behind the scenes of high performance. But I'm sure more than not, you see people almost losing themselves in that one goal, in that one thing, in that. And I mean, how hard is it not to shake someone and say, like, take a second, you know, get some perspective. It's not helpful. I guess, I guess I don't often, I'm not often tempted to do that because I think everybody has their own way of, of trying to get somewhere. And if, and Mm -hmm. frankly, if you're not kind of a little obsessed and a little bit nuts, like you, you know, you're probably not going to make it anyway. Um, so uh, I don't know, like I've always, I've, I've always kind of just hung back and, and mm-hmm. been interested because everybody gets to, to, you know, to where they hopefully want to end up in a different way. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I was okay with, with, with it taking a, a couple of more years, um, weirdly, but you know, I was also a really impatient person, so I'm full of just contradictions, but, um, <laughs> uh, I think everybody has their own way that they're going to hopefully, you know, make it to the top. And some some of the best event riders this country has put forward haven't always, you know, had the easiest trip or the easiest route or yeah. had the, maybe the, even the easiest personalities to get there or whatever. And yeah, it's just, it, it, it's, it's so interesting that the, the mind of the event rider. <laughs> well, it's, it, well, totally. That's a, that's a book. Um, <laughs> um, but it is, it's like, I mean, that's a really, uh, like, like healthy mindset to have because it's so, um, it's so easy to always see things from your perspective. You're like, well, I wouldn't do it that way or that's crazy or this person, but then the mm-hmm. more you kind of look at people, you, or, or even like, you know, horses and, and all of that, like everybody is going to get there. Something that works for me might not work for somebody else. And trying to figure out the balance of that. That's, that's cool that you said it's like interesting to sit back and watch, you know, and see how that's going to work out for someone. <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> get out the popcorn and yeah. You're like, how, how is this? I have an idea, but you know, it was, it was like, I was, I was writing some, some stuff down for this. And I, have you watched uh, on Netflix inventing Anna? I have not. So I just, I not. well, I just start. I mean, it, I, it, you know, it, it, it seems to be quite popular. So I just started watching it the other day and, um, or around two o'clock in the morning, actually. And, uh, <laughs> but there's this one part and it was, and it just came to my head when I was kind of thinking about our talk because she, she basically kind of says like my superpower with people is that I don't have to like you to recognize that you, there's like something great about a person. Like there's something that's going to be successful. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be friends yeah. with anybody to recognize it, you know? And I thought that was so um, interesting because I'm like, that has to be what it's like when you're like in a selecting type of position mm-hmm. or, you know, like it has to be hard sometimes when you're like, okay, you know, not that you would ever dislike or not get along with everyone, but um, <laughs> if, if there happened to be that person, <laughs> 
like yeah. to separate that and go, that's irrelevant right now. Like absolutely. Yeah. The- yeah. Yeah. As long as it's not, you know, upsetting the team dynamic, yeah. um, you know, uh, and, and, and honestly a little bit of that, you know, Jack Legoff would, would, would they, they said that he would sometimes purposely put two people, you know, roommates or or in the same lesson or whatever because he knew that they were going to kind of rub on each other a little bit and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of you know kind of get under each other's skin and i've heard great stories from you know karen stives about i won't say who but like who <laughs> you know the, the 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 rivalries that she had and um mm-hmm. you know and and how she really finally understood what jack was was trying to do he was trying right. to create a little mini competition a little mini pressure like all the time and uh yeah. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. Hear like her perspective of that, you yeah. know, with a little retrospect. But well, I think like like talking about that word, you know, pressure. And I, I, uh, I, I talked to Kim Severson. Mm-hmm. We did a podcast with Kim a little while ago, which was really fun and really interesting because she's such a um, strong personality and yeah. uh, like very confident. You know, like she's like, well, you have to have self belief. You just have to have it. You know. And uh, I'm like, I know, but what if you don't? (laughs) (laughs) She's like, well, I've never thought about that. And, (laughs) um, but, but creating these, and we chat about that for a little bit, but like pressure and talking about pressure and that, um, you know, figuring out a way in, in, we're always doing it with the horses, right? Like trying to get them to understand and appreciate and, and navigate pressures that they feel. And, and the same thing for people in these team situations is like how to create that space. And that's always seems to be this debate back and forth, which is hard um, in this time and age, because obviously things are getting a lot more in a good way, like a lot more organic and a lot more um, geared towards, you know, your, like your mental state and how you're feeling and that type of thing, which is really important, mm-hmm. but also being able to withstand pressure and be put in situations and feel you know, confident, like how, how, how would you advise people to navigate those tracks basically? Gosh, I, I don't, that's a really, really hard one. I don't know if I know that answer, honestly, <laughs> like I, I'm totally yeah. serious. Like I think, you know, you gotta, you know, surround yourself with a great team, you know, like surround yourself with people that believe in you, um, yeah. surround yourself, although with that person that will also tell you the hard truths, right? Like, and, and I just think it's how, I don't know, like it's just how you kind of go about setting up what you want to do. I think that's a super hard question and I'm yeah. not going to be successful answering it. What are, you, <laughs> what are your thoughts? No, what are you, I'm really interested. What are your thoughts about it? Well, I, I don't, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think I, I guess I'm not totally sure myself. I think about it a lot because um, I think your community, like you said, is really important. You know, having people mm-hmm. that you trust tell you the hard truth you know, like yeah. that, you, that you believe, you know, there's a lot of people that'll tell you what their truth is. <laughs> that's very, that's a really good point, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've all had that. Yeah, we've like, I gone. don't need to listen to that. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know, I mean, I guess I was thinking a little bit, it just struck me that conversation about Jack Legoff and a little bit of creating those like mini pressure situations and those mm-hmm. little mini competitions within a safe fish environment to challenge that, you know, can you ride when you're a little like flustered and a little up and a little, yeah. um, you know, can you excel in those situations? Yeah. Uh, he would be, you know, I, I did get to go, my parents used to, my dad used to like, just drop me off at the, 
the team, the USCT on Bridge Street in Hamilton, Massachusetts, and I would just sit in the little viewing area in the indoor and man, and he would like pick on that one person a day. And mm -hmm. that would be like, and it would be just never ending, just like at that person, just to see how tough they are and mm -hmm. could, could, could they ride through it and could they ride through the pressure and had nothing to do with a horse. Could the, that rider ride through all that pressure? And, uh, and usually they did. And then mm -hmm. he would just be like, yeah, look at you. You're great. Whatever. Yeah. But he, you know, his, his style was not easy, man. Like, and yeah. I don't know if anybody, I don't know if anyone could be as tough as Jack could be and still get away with it or, yeah. you know, uh, but, um, man, it sure was successful, you know, yeah. say what you will, it was successful. Well, I think it's funny. Um, like I started, um, riding, riding with Scotty Keach about a year ago and, um, he's pretty tough. And I didn't realize like how kind my instructors had been. <laughs> and I even remember, I remember going to take a lesson with you. Uh, I think it was right before Kentucky or something. And we jumped and we finished and you were like, that was so great. I just, I just wanted you to feel really good here. And it, cause I had had kind of a tough year and I was like, okay, you know, I really, that's what I needed. Like, that's totally what I needed was this good, confident ride. And if that last ride had been with like Scott or probably Jack LaGoff, I would have just quit. <laughs> like, <laughs> that would have been that. But, um, you know, there's a time and a place. And now like a year later in the situation that I'm in, like uh, it, it definitely, um, I can handle a lot more now, but it was, uh, I kind of knew what I was getting into, if you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Like, you kind of yeah. have to be ready. And it's funny because there's certain people that I think this, you know, that type of program would be so good for. And then I think about it a little bit more and I'm like, I don't actually, I think they couldn't, it wouldn't work. Like it, right. it would be too much. And then, but then you look at the parallel of, of the situations that we, that you've got to go to and got to deal with and being in a team situation. Um mm -hmm. And it's a lot of pressure. So it's like trying to figure yeah. out how to do that in a way where criticism isn't personal, you know, like where it's yeah. like, like it just is what it is, you know, like obviously like the ego part of it has to be a little separate, which, um, you know, one of the things that I didn't really put together until the past year or two and doing some reading was like, I didn't think I had much of an ego, but I actually had like a huge ego, not in the sense of I was like, I'm the best thing ever, but in the mm -hmm. sense that like, I cared so much about what other people thought about stuff. Yeah. I think you know? that's I think, a really good way of putting it. Actually. I think we're all a little bit like that. Yeah. To some extent. Which makes yeah. it really hard in a competition, like in a pressure situation when mm -hmm. you're not totally focused on what you're doing because you're worried about <laughs> what you're doing <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> or how you're being yep. perceived um you know whereas in in probably some of those training sessions that you're talking about like at that point everybody was kind of like ground down to whatever so you were you weren't really yeah thinking that way i guess about getting a mental pep talk i don't know yeah i love i loved like the more you know again like the person i got to ride the most with was mark phillips for probably yeah. 10 years in training mm -hmm. sessions and i loved I just loved it when he would get like really into me for something. And it, and it was always me. Like it was always totally always me. And like, and like the harder that he kept pushing that the more I would kind of get into it in a, in a really positive way. And I, I don't know, I, that those situations, I guess I'm masochistic, but, but I love, I love it when, you know, someone's really hard on you to, to get you to that place to improve. And, yeah. uh, 
and you know and i think it's all about the timing of when when to do it and i think yeah. he was actually very good about that and you knew and i and i try to do the same thing like there are certain times especially if you're a couple weeks out from a competition that's the time that you can you know say like come on like you just can't make that mistake like you yeah. like you like you're way better or or just you know and then get back you know closer to the competition you get you I, with most people you have you, know, you have to know when to let off a little bit and yeah. you know and at, at the competitions you know when when you can press a little bit but when you have to let off i think it's it's a huge you know like if you're gonna coach people at a high level you have to have that innate sense of when you can push and when you when when you can't and um you know we never uh, actually all get it perfect but um i think it's something you learn a little bit more as you get old yeah. <laughs> not older old <laughs> just old like <laughs> us. um well and that i mean that's huge because you've had a lot of um you know five star students that have been with you for i mean decades really really we're all old man uh but like that that would you say is something that is is probably incredibly helpful when you know someone that well that you can figure out when to when to push yeah apps yeah. yeah oh for sure and the, and the, those are the easy people because like you you know exactly when you can push a little harder and you know exactly when they need you know you to let up and and or you know that the personalities that actually do better with being yeah. a little bit tougher and, and you know there's certain people you just can't go there because you're just gonna break them down and you know and they're gonna you know just go off and yeah. the sunset <laughs> <laughs> and that's good and that'd be that so yeah. like pulling forward and you don't have to get too specific but to where we're at now obviously we're mm -hmm. in a little bit of a odd position heading into a world championships and are we i didn't know what's going on i didn't know anything was happening I <laughs> there's it was not there's good. there actually is nothing happening <laughs> yeah, there's nothing <laughs> there's not there's no one at the at the wheel <laughs> you would be right uh, so i'm so, pretty brilliant <laughs> yeah. so we've got to get somebody at the wheel for the next year and then and then big picture you know think about somebody there and like from your perspective would you you know, everybody has obviously a different opinion, and I, I, I don't think there's a right or a wrong. Like the oh, type of person that needs to coach or lead or be a chef is it a person's person? Is it a horse person? Is it a psychiatrist? <laughs> what, what is it? I, I, that whole psychiatrist thing, like that, that's something I think that has always gone way underutilized within our team for years. I, we always seem to have someone come in for like a year and then okay because that's really important then they kind of forget about it and then oh yeah maybe we should get like a team play. so that to me is something that should come back and and people should not not be forced to use but encouraged it yeah. was certainly amazing for me um anyway back to your original question that i'm trying to avoid um uh i i again i don't know i don't think i honestly don't think that we've gotten it wrong the last mm -hmm. couple of people that we've had, I think we've been really lucky to have um, a couple of these guys. I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what the, the answer is. I think a little bit is, um, you know, I, I think to a point like the riders have to get realistic about w what their expectations from whoever that person is, even mm -hmm. looking forward into the future. Um, you know, uh, you know, what they really need 
you know, to, to help them be at their best? Is it, is it riding lessons? Is it, is it, you know, help, you know, with horse management? Cause you're always going to have people. We often talk about, about high performance, like, you know, that it's all just the Phillips and Boyds and, you know, the people that have been doing it forever, but there are always going to be one or two or three people coming into the program that, that really are going to need a lot of guidance. You right. They're yeah. going to from, 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 you know, you know, they're, they're 24. They all of a sudden have this horse. They find themselves on the, on the, in, you know, in either the pre-elite or the elite list, or they're going to blend for the first time yet. They, they may not have like a real, a real program set up for their horses, you know, well-being and, you know, the mental side of it. So there's, there's, there's so much that, that one person has to do. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, there are people that just need to kind of be you know, kind of ushered along and, and just be supported. And then um, I think there's always going to be people that, that you have to have someone that can, you know, teach, you know, teach them riding lessons if they, if they need that or, or get them in touch with, with the, the proper, you know, veterinary care or, or maybe not proper, but, but uh, more advanced veterinary yeah. care or barrier. So I, it's a, it's a tough one. Like I don't, I don't think we've gotten it completely wrong. So I don't, I don't think we should go crazy. Um, yeah. But uh but I don't, I don't know. I think that's what this, this task force that's yeah. been put together, you know, we can just leave it to them and <laughs> figure it out. But, um, you know, there are great people on that, on that task force. And I know there's the performance advisory team, phenomenal people also on that. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of good information coming from these groups. However, we've kind of been down this road before. So we, we mm-hmm. I don't think we can get, you know, I don't think we should put too much pressure on them, but, um, I don't think we've gotten it completely wrong, and I think there were a lot of good things that that were hap- that that was happening, that were happening, things that were happening. Um, <laughs> and so, sorry, I'm grammatically checking myself. Yeah, I'm in Florida. Myself. I have no idea yeah. what's right. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Like, I, I I'm trying not. I'm not trying to ditch the uh, to avoid the question, but oh, no. It's, uh, no, well, I think if there was an easy answer, we would figured it out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> You know, I mean, I think yep. there's a lot of a lot of smart people, like you said, on all these things. So I think it's there's not one right answer, um, or else it would it would be sorted. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I totally agree. I think there's been a couple of kind of heads of state that have have worn the kind of uh, I don't know scarlet letter or whatever, and it's not necessarily yep. you know it's a it's a it's way broader and way bigger and. Um, you know, there needs to be more support and, um, yeah, there. So I think unfortunately some of the timing was just off, but, um, but I think you're right. I mean, I, I guess my, my thought is a little bit kind of where, where you're at. I think it does kind of circle back to the riders and the responsibility and, um, kind of figuring out what you need and what you want. And in any given situation, you know, figuring yeah. out what that person can can help you with or not and if yeah. they can't then okay then they can't and then yeah. you gotta kind of and at the what... end of the day it's that they they need to be accountable and i think that's mm-hmm. it's it's maybe um just human nature not to want to be held accountable or or hold yourself accountable um i think the first part you know when things go wrong if you are not first looking at yourself and at your program and figuring out why something is not working then you know, you're just fooling yourself. Like you yeah. can't like, I don't care if there are 10 of the 10 Jack Legoffs mm-hmm. that, that come in, like you, you're not gonna, you're, you're never going to make it like, un- unless you are really honest with yourself and you have people around you that are going to keep you 
honest and uh you know that that it's never going to work so yeah. you know it really does it, it, the whole you know it's such a trite saying right of responsibility or whatever like yeah. you hear it all the time but it, it really is like you like you have to be like I, you know i would i would always you know to a fault sometimes people tell me to a fault that you know i would always be like so hard myself and blaming myself and you know like you know well you know sometimes it sometimes it could be just the horse had a bad day or whatever it's like yeah but like i think not that i was some like freaking sane or something but i like i you know you have to look at yourself and, and mm -hmm. you know within yourself and don't you know and we're pros all of us are pros at kidding ourselves and you just can't do that and like yeah. you you figure it out like i remember like i didn't make the the uh what is it, 2002 WEG, and i had just gone to the olympics two be two years before and you know like i was incredulous i couldn't believe that i wasn't named to the team i just couldn't mm -hmm. believe it and now looking back on it i was like well, of course you weren't picked like <laughs> yeah. of course you're lame you know yeah. like yeah. You know, barely, yeah. you know, barely trot up on the last day of the yeah. Olympics. It was, you know, it's it's always yeah. like a little touchy, touch and go getting through like we yeah. always were able to, but getting through, like, of course they weren't going to yeah. risk that again and putting, yeah. you know, and, and at the time, I, I, I just was like, I just couldn't believe it. And I think when you're that close to it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's where you are. And you almost, you I mean, you have to have like, you know, when I was a selector, if people would, you know, call me after the list, you know, training list would come out and they, they would be upset that they weren't on the list. I and people like people would say like oh, doesn't that bother you isn't that really hard to take i was like no like you, if they weren't mad if they weren't irritated yeah. or frustrated or whatever then they don't want enough i i'm fine with them calling me and asking me the hard questions and whatever and you know like if if they just were like oh well that's okay then right. those aren't really the people that you want anyway right so yeah um but but yeah like but with time comes like perspective and that's yeah, really yeah, hard. Yeah. No, you got to spin yeah. it, spin it the right way. But I think that, yeah. like what you said, almost like what we were talking about earlier, is almost maybe one of those things that comes out of it is is really getting that community around you that can give you those honest truths or keep you because, like you said, mm -hmm. like sometimes you get so close to it, so that when you get into a situation, it's either going to enhance what you're doing or it's not going to yeah. affect it. You know, yeah. like. Like, I think that's some of the, the things sometimes is people move from this one phase over here and then they go into the team situation and they abandon all of that and think that this is some new different thing. Whereas like, uh, if you could move yeah, into that- We see that, that happen all the time. That yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas yeah. If, if you can build your community and that, that and I think that's how, like a lot of people that I've been speaking to, it seems like everybody's, because there's kind of this gray area happening right now, everybody kind of has to you know, like sort themselves yeah. out and get themselves together. And then it's like that, that, that might, without even meaning to fix it, that might fix it, <laughs> you know? Sure. Like sure, this, yeah. this space so that people, when they come into that situation already have kind of this group and then it, the team either helps it or it does, or it, it just stays as good as it was when it came in, as opposed to, you know, um, sometimes if you abandon everything, then it just goes completely the other way. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, I was going to ask yeah. you something else, but I got distracted in the middle of solving all of those, yeah. those things. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we really solved it, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's totally sorted out. We just decided it's solving itself. Nobody has to do anything. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I love it. Well, and I think one of the things I, you know, that you do that's so like really cool is, um, <clears throat> is kind of that that leading by example. You know, like like you're able to kind of come in and I've seen it 
in your coaching and in your writing and with your students and whatnot is you actually do walk that line incredibly well of being able to have your point and help somebody be successful without feeling like it's an attacking or overbearing type of thing, which is, does not come easily for a lot of people. Maybe it doesn't no, come easily. And it doesn't you. come from, yeah. And it doesn't come from day one, you know, like yeah. I was like, if I, if I worked for me or if I was like, like when I was like 24, I'd be like, Ugh, who is this? <laughs> he, like he is just so obnoxiously full of himself and moody. I and, just can't even picture that. You know, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I was like, you know, I think I was basically a, a pleasant, nice person, but, but I was like, you know, you're so self-absorbed at that age. Like, yeah. you know, and you think everything, every one of your problems is like the only person that has that problem, and, you <laughs> yeah. know, the whole world revolves around me. Like, yeah. totally. Like I, I would, I would have been not as easy to get along with then as I think maybe I am now. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but you know, you, you learn a lot of that stuff as you go and you have people that tell you like you know you're being insufferable stop it so <laughs> that was usually have... my mother actually <laughs> <laughs> see that's one of those people that's you got to have one of those yep. in your circle that you can hear that from and go yep. okay okay you're right, yeah. you're right. <laughs> i get it <laughs> awesome um okay well i'm gonna i've had you on the phone for an hour so i'm gonna God. i know yeah, right um so i'm gonna get into these questions that i sent you <laughs> Okay, have... I wrote down notes. I'm not going to read from them verbatim, but I don't, I don't want to so sound prepared. stupid. So... <laughs> and, but I'm not. But I, if I glance down, I'm not looking at my belly button. I'm looking at my <laughs> notes. You are so prepared. That's so funny. I love it. Most yeah. of the people are like, "Oh, you sent those," or I'm like, Jade, "I sent them to you two you minutes ago." You know me. I get. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I get nervous. Or I don't want to be unprepared. <laughs> I love zero. Okay. okay. All right. What is the biggest lesson a horse has taught you about yourself? Um, this one was kind of easy, and it goes back a little bit to when I was younger. Um, uh, that 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 you'll learn to be patient, and success will come, or you'll keep being impatient and you'll just keep spinning your wheels and <laughs> never get anywhere. And I, and again, like that happened a little bit. You know, going to be a little bit later in life and. I, I was pretty impatient about a lot of things and, you know, and then being impatient and you're frustrated and whatever. And mm -hmm. you know, I think like with age, I just, you know, I, it was this Chevalier horse that I had. I, when I got him, I, you know, he had, he had been, he'd been uh, done fair Hill. Now the four-star level, three-star level is done. And, um, you know, I, I got the ride on him, took, took him one preliminary, one intermediate, one advanced, took him to Fair Hill. That was successful. Got put on the training list. Well, of course, I'm just going to go to Kentucky the next spring. Complete and utter disaster. Um, <laughs> uh, and, nice. and I just remember being like, wow, like when I looked back, I was just, I just thought that I could just like keep going and going and going and, and not actually train him and, and, you know, do the work that was going to be, you know, hopefully make us successful. And, you know, it pulled me up short. I was like horrified how poorly it went. And, yeah. um, and I, it was a huge lesson. Like he taught me, like, like he was perfect. Like he'd never put a foot wrong, like ever. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, but it was just like, I, there were so many gaps that needed to be filled in my own training and I just wasn't patient being patient about it. And, uh, so yeah, there's yeah. that. Well, I think that we talk about that a lot here at, at, on this podcast and at Ride IQ, but there's like, there's, there's connection, obviously, like 
literal like connection when you're sitting on mm-hmm. a horse, but there's that relationship connection part of it that when you're, you know, in the, in the heat of the moment, it's got to, you got to build that from somewhere. And when you're young, you yeah. just don't appreciate a good relationship. No, you don't. Like <laughs> we were not all born like Tick Maynard, that's for sure. <laughs> Some oh, of us I had to learn it. No, I'm so glad we we say that all the time. I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't know you when I was in my early 20s and you were in your early 20s. I think he knew a lot, a lot of relationships. <laughs> he would have not liked us probably. <laughs> no, um, no, that that is it's it's so it's so true. I remember saying to Kent Allen when I was like 18, I had a horse that a similar story. And um, and he said he and ended up x-raying everything and the horse's feet were like Swiss cheese. And it was just, he's like trying to tell me this horse needs to be retired. And I, I had done an advanced or three-star or something at the time. And I go, I just need him to do a three-star or four-star, get shortlisted for the Olympics. And then he can retire after that. Right. <laughs> That's all. And I was, I was like, I don't, I don't understand. Can't you just do something? And, um, <laughs> you know, and I said, it's straight faced. And I think Dr. Allen was like, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> Somebody needs to talk to her. Um, yeah, I know. I'm still embarrassed like 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Do you have a favorite training or competition mantra that you reference regularly? So they come and they go. Uh, the one that's been pretty consistent for a year, I'd say at least. And I think you have different ways of saying this. And it just, I finally said it. You know, I think it was even maybe at Kentucky to uh, walk the course with a couple of people I was helping and like going down to the head of the lake. And I was like, look, you are only like, do not feel the pressure to move up here. Like, like you are only moving up and lengthening the stride if you're going to make the distance better. Like, mm. it is not a sin to come down that hill and maintain what you have. Doesn't mean you're riding backwards. Doesn't mean that you're behind the horse is behind your leg. Doesn't mean you're going slow. Um, but I think there's so much, you know, uh, pressure sometimes because we all know like the forward to the base ride is like mm-hmm. the gold standard. Like we wish we could do that every single time. And, and oftentimes when we see people get into trouble, especially cross country is they move up for no reason. Like, or they start lengthening the stride before, before they know where they are to the jump. And so many of the bad wrecks that I see or, the, mm-hmm. or, 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 or falls or, or, you know, near misses, are people moving up irrationally? Like they're mm-hmm. like we we were once in some clinic and someone said, "Yeah, just keep kicking, keep going forward." It's like, well, that's great if you're if you're riding to a, a, a good distance or if you're on a horse that you know has that you know fifth leg or is it yeah. third leg, third leg, um, uh, fifth leg, uh, fifth. <laughs> fifth, yeah, humans, third. Okay, yeah, I was uh, like, that's a different sport. <laughs> so, like, do you know what I mean? So, I, I say that a lot. Like, so it, it started at a big event, like, or like you're mm-hmm. coming down to the coffin, like. Cause you don't want to move up to the gap, right? They'll either slam mm-hmm. on the brakes or they're going to hang their stifles all over the rail. So, and it, it, and it goes, goes for, um, it's also a good way to people to get people not to ride backwards. So like oftentimes I'll say like, you are not like, you can maintain what you have, but you are not allowed to slow down to find your distance. And that yeah. to me, like people say like, how do you help people find a distance? That's the one thing that I've been able to over the years, like think about it's like, Oftentimes the distance goes away when we're just at the same time, we're trying to find the distance to the jump. We're actually slowing down because we're thinking about it yeah. so much. So then the distance disappears. And when you can teach people to, to, to ride forward or, or keep maintaining the forward rhythm and tempo mm-hmm. through that moment, 
then the distance won't disappear quite as much. And and also your yeah. horse won't be confused because they're 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 seeing what what I'm talking about, which is just cantering up to the stupid jumping, jumping the jump. They're not thinking yeah. here I'm gonna slow down and here I'm gonna try to find my distance. And that's when you get horses that, you know, rush. It's because they, mm -hmm. they are confused about that that moment when when we think that we need to slow down just to speed up again. So yeah. So yeah. Maintain or move up is what I say, yeah. but you're only moving up if you're making the distance better. That's like, that's all very long. I'm sure you can edit. No, I think, no, <laughs> I think it's, I mean, I think that's huge. I mean, I think that's huge on the literal sense and in the bigger picture. I mean, I think mm -hmm. we are a culture of fixers, <laughs> Yeah. you know, and if you're yeah. uncomfortable, you've got to get in, get out or fix as opposed yeah. to just sit there for a second, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. I think that's an interesting parallel that you say with the horses, because I was reading something the other day and it, it was really neat because it was talking about um, like horses, um, you know, they don't, well, they don't have a frontal lobe, so they don't have all these stories going on in their head. Like when we don't see that distance, we're like, what if I miss? What if someone sees me? What if I flip? What if I die? What if I wait? Yeah. What if I, you know, yeah. and like you said, the horse is just looking at it and just judging it without the emotion. They're just judging yeah. the jump and going to jump it. And then if you input all of that crap, <laughs> for lack of a better term, it gets very, um, it gets very confusing uh in that situation that's exactly right like when the kind of the accidents happen and it's hard mm -hmm. when you feel like you uh like your own emotions kind of hijack your body yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know we've all seen that you're like what am i doing <laughs> like or done it you know i tell you so many it. people that they ride with too much emotion like man yeah. just take the emotion out of it like yeah there there should be no emotion in riding like you know yeah good or bad like you just need to ride and yeah. um no emotion no nothing stone cold. dead inside <laughs> <laughs> i have no feelings yeah exactly uh, i love it um is there a piece of advice someone gave you along the way that you still reference today oh man <laughs> i i think i think just from i mean i think hopefully all of us are taught this when we're like young you know it's basically like you know unless something really terrible, terrible, terrible has happened to you, like everyone has life a little bit harder than you do. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, that was, you know, I was the fifth of five kids. So I was always getting like beaten up and, you know, given <laughs> noogies and, you know, you know, punched in the arm and my brother like bruised my arm like, like every day. <laughs> and I would think that would be like, so, you know, I always thought like, you know, my life is the toughest of my mother's like, and father like no like you always you know met and like just as you got older like the minute you start feeling bad about yourself or feel bad for yourself mm -hmm. you know, there, like there's just, i feel so grateful that that is in me to always to always think like somebody like i mean especially these days i mean yeah. we could be in a war torn war torn yeah. country and like almost anything that happens can't be that bad really yeah so yeah um I'm an optimistic person, and and I think that I was lucky that that's that that I was just never allowed to ever be self indulgent with Have my that own emotions. Yeah. kind of mentality. Yeah. That was yeah. that was a biggie because you see how that just um, just straps people in. Like yeah. you, like they just can't. You know, there's so many people that have that negative like "woe is me" mentality, and it doesn't mean that you can't have feelings and care and and wish that things would be better. But but man, if it's if it's keeping you from moving forward and progressing and achieving your goals what a what a waste of yeah time. yeah it takes up a yeah. lot of space yeah no that that type of energy feels a lot heavier yeah um for sure completely 
All right. What do you do when you are seeking inspiration? Oh, this one's so easy. This one came <laughs> to me like I, I and, and I don't ever hesitate to do this. Not that I can always do it at the drop of a hat, but if I'm if I'm going through a patch where I'm really trying to 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 think about things and think through things, if I possibly can, I just pick up, I go to either to the mountains or to the ocean, preferably with my dog if I can, mm -hmm. and spend a couple of days. It's weird, like when I'm at home. I can't, I have a hard time, like even if, even if I'm having like a, a, a quiet afternoon, if I'm home in my house or at the barn, like I have a hard time thinking about, you know, things like in the bigger picture. I always yeah. feel like I have to go away or remove myself from, you know, everybody, mm -hmm. you know, the town I live in, whatever. So I love, I love, um, I love like, you know, when I need inspiration or clarity, I go to the mountains or of North Carolina. We're lucky because in North Carolina, we have gorgeous mountains and a gorgeous coast. And if I was in New yeah. England, I'd go to the, you know, to the beach. mountains or coast. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's what I do. And it, and it works wonders. I've, I've, I've come up with there's so many good things that have happened in my life have been planned during those times of just getting away and just being quiet with yourself yeah. and your thoughts. And, um, it's amazing the things that I can trace back to those moments of, of just needing to like, okay, I just need to go figure this out. Just a couple of days. Be good. Yeah. Off we go. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's huge. That's like a, that that's huge because it's not even like, I got to sit down and like fix this. It's like, if I go to this space, then that will help, <laughs> you know, yeah. like if I you get, know, and it's not always possible, then. obviously, but yeah. then I'll just say, well, I'll just put that aside until I can like find a time that I can really, think about that and yeah. and make a plan about that and it's always coming at it from a really positive direction yeah. mm -hmm. um another like, oh, go i gotta get away because i can't just deal with this right now and yeah. no like i go <laughs> in a positive you know direct you know uh, in a positive way to to go figure out what if what i'm going to do next or what i'm going to do about this or whatever and so uh, mm -hmm. you know try to stay positive all the time yeah a big picture thing that's try. really neat um try we all try um try. that's all you can do <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you had an experience or an adversity separate from horses in your life that has directly influenced you as a horseman? This was a really tough one because, I mean, you could say like, yeah, like, you know, certain things like, you know, a uh, 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 meaningful loss or a, a meaningful injury to like, we've all been injured, uh, um, like a, tra like a tragedy strikes or whatever, like, um, all of those things are really hard to deal with. But what I found is that each one of those kind of big momentous things that, that aren't very positive that can happen to you. The one thing that does happen is that it makes you, it, it makes it, it, hopefully what it does, like things become very clear, right? You have a, mm -hmm. you have a bad injury. It becomes pretty clear what you are going to need to do. Like you're, you have a huge loss in your life and you're like, okay, okay, what am I going to do to move on from this? You know, you, or there's anything like that. And and I think again, like just to stay, try to be a positive person, like even if any kind of adversity, the one thing that comes out of all of that usually is that is clarity and like, right. okay, that sucked, but, but it's very honest, like brutally aware. I mean, apparent what I'm going to need to do to, to move on from this. And, I think that's one of the maybe the blessings of bad things happening is that is that it mm -hmm. actually does focus your attention pretty quickly about about how you you can possibly move on. So I think if you just like listen to yourself and I, I, I have always found not always found like these things don't come overnight, like a 
I've realized that that's something that comes from that is just listen to yourself and, and try to see the clarity in the situation. Does that make any sense? Yeah. When I was yeah, writing it down, I was like, Shanae's going to look at me like, like I had three heads on that one. But <laughs> no, right. no, I think it, it's all right. She does that all the time. <laughs> <It's okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually no. not that deep, but, but I was like, yeah, but that one came pretty easy to me weirdly i think so. that is no i think that's awesome well i i think it like it either is gonna like break you or you're gonna mm -hmm. figure it out you know and it's like both yep. are hard you know like yep. both are hard so you might as well yeah. do the thing that is gonna get you somewhere on the backside. you yeah. know like yeah and it's not always that easy right like yeah i mean i know you lost your dad real suddenly i lost my mom mm -hmm. real suddenly and you know, so you say, oh, yeah, I just got clarity and I just moved on. I mean, those <laughs> those types of things are really yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, but you, like, A, you feel really like grateful that that actually you feel bad about losing somebody that much. But yeah. on the other side, like it, it's like, OK, if you're going to if you're going to not let this define your your season, say, if you're competing or or whatever it is, um, you just have to like have clarity about it what you're going to do, how you're going to feel about it and how you're going to be able to move on. I don't know. Like it's, yeah, it's just, I think you just have to, I, I try to be a super positive person and that's, yeah. Yeah. I tend to yeah. did give myself uh time limits, like depending on the level Absolutely. of the thing, like I'm like, yeah. okay, this is this, I need 10 minutes or I'm like, I yeah. need 10 days. And yeah. then once Bad that time Kentucky, limit I just is like, up, I'm just going to be mad for 10 minutes and yeah. throw my dressage saddle and my top hat <laughs> back in the day in the track over my trailer yeah. and I'm just going to yeah. like be pissed off for 10 minutes and then I'll be <laughs> yeah. fine. And then I'm going to let it go, but I am going to be yeah. all like, stay away. <laughs> yeah. And then it's, and then it's going to be gone. It's so funny because I like, even with pain and stuff, like I I'll do it. Like if some, if I do something, I'll just like count to 10 and now Brett's mm -hmm. he's three and a half. And so whenever anything, he has an owie or anything, he'll just count to 10. <laughs> God, you trained him to do it himself. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty amazing. I know. And it'll come out of nowhere. Sometimes I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, what's it do for that? And he, well, he skips five um, for some reason. So he, he actually is better than me because he can do it in nine seconds. <laughs> wow. But That's really good. Uh, I, yeah, I just kind of find like, sometimes I need to like count to 10 and sometimes I need to count to 10. Like the girls in the barn will make fun of me because somebody will say something and I'll just feel my like temper going up. And I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> um, but I, I, no, I, I, I think um, that makes, it's very clear. I think that makes perfect sense in those situations. And it's okay. been an interesting, that's been like one of the most interesting questions for people and hearing kind of the feedback on that, because it really gives a, um, you know, a, a good picture of where. You know what it is? is? It's your Barbara Walters question. At the end of the interview, <laughs> she would always ask that question that would get yeah. people like thinking and then they'd start to tear up and they would be like why are you making me cry but uh, i was i was yeah. hoping for tears i was yeah, like no, what I'm is gonna like, make bobby cry there's, there's no crying there's no. everybody yeah. around me knows like yeah just don't cry in front of bobby because he has no idea what to do with it like none at all so just don't cry he won't be mad but he just won't know what to do he so just will just, stand there yeah. awkwardly yeah know. exactly so, <laughs> that is so funny I love it. Well, this has been awesome. I so appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy and running around and well, changing the world. And it's a fun time of year. It's, it's nice and busy, but we're lucky yeah. to do what we do. And it's super fun. And you're good at this, Sinead. My Lord. 
talking. (laughs) Talking with my friends. Well, I wasn't going to say that's all you have to do. No, there's a real art to it. And I think you are, you know, make people feel like you're good at what you do. Great. Oh, thanks, man. So will we, are you heading to Kentucky? Are you, what's your. Yeah. Yep. Um, I have a, uh, right now it looks as though one or two people might be going to badminton. So that would be kind of fun because it's been so long for everybody. I would just like to go just to watch. So, um, um, but God, it's it's a crazy time of year because it seems like the beginning of the year, at least in North Carolina, it starts a little bit slower for us than it does for you all. Um, but then once it starts, and then all of a sudden you're at Kentucky, it's like, how did this, how did we get here already? So, um, but it's a great, it's a really fun time of year. Lots of fun people in town, lots of nice horses and riders. Um, and yeah, so we're just going to kick on and go, go, go. Go, go, go. I love it. Well, I really appreciate it. We're going to, we're going to sign off here and, um, good luck to you and all of your students and everyone all over the world. Thank you, Sinead. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Before you go, I just want to let you know more about Ride IQ. At its core, Ride IQ gives everyone access to instruction from the best equestrian coaches in the world. It might sound impossible, but with Ride IQ, you get access to the private mobile app that has hundreds of on-demand, listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by top riders and coaches in eventing, hunter-jumpers, and dressage. Here's how it works. You look through the app and choose a lesson based on your horse or a skill you're working on. There are lessons for green off-the-track thoroughbreds and nervous horses horses and horses that are behind the leg, as well as lessons that teach every stage of skills like shoulder in or trot lengthenings. Then you tack up and press play and you have a top coach like Doug Payne or Leslie Law or Gina Smith in your ear guiding you every step of the way. If you enjoyed today's episode, it is always appreciated if you can take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and family and leave a review on your podcast app. The best way to support the podcast is to become a Ride IQ member at ride-iq.com. And when you do, we hope you're excited to see that InStride is just one of multiple podcast shows on the app, including hack chats, conversations with coaches, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week and please do press follow or subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen on. And as always, remember to pat your horse.